1: Today on episode 64 of the Hangtime Podcast, Earl K. Sneed from Mavs.com comes on to share his White House experiences and talk about the Mavericks. Nuggets strength coach Steve Hess drops by to talk about how the players are handling the physical stress of the shortened season, and Michael Lee of the Washington Post helps decipher what is wrong with the Washington Wizards. All that, plus a new segment, Destined for Greatness, depends on how you look at it. Coming up on... Welcome this week's play-by-play of the Hang Time Podcast.
2: Joining us now is Houston Rockets head coach Kevin McHale. I tell you what, for Vikings fans, Green Bay playing the Bears is like: do you want to get hung or do you want to get shot? With your host, Gallius Anderson, stuffed <laughs> it down behind his head. Zachary Smith. And Lang Whitaker The NBA's Executive Vice President of Basketball Versus Stu Jackson is joining us now on the podcast I wanted
3: to ask you, Stu, the players see you coming
2: Do they get out of the way now? No, the worst thing that happened to me was uh, caller ID Sports editor of the nation, Dave Zirin Only the Knicks for $100 million would sign
4: somebody With one eye and two microfracture surgeries But shut my mouth, he's our most important New York Jew since Woody Allen
5: Now it's time for the tip-off
2: Back again, Sekou Smith from the Hangtime blog and NBA.com, Langston J. Whitaker, live from New York. So one of these
3: days, someone's going to ask me if my name is really Langston, Langston or one of these, these other
2: crackpot things you come up with. Listen, man, I, it's just it's a ha- bad habit that won't go away. <laughs> Michael it's Hart a- in the studio, Jarrell on the controls. Uh, what is, Lang? seriously, what is your middle name? I'm not giving mine up, but I'm, I mean, I guess I should at least t- know what I'll I'm. I'll tell like. you, it's a uh, seku. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Your parents chose wisely, my friend.
1: Have you ever <laughs> met another seku?
2: Have I? Yeah. Uh, Lane yes, or anybody. I went to college with another dude with my name. Um, he was much better looking than I was too. So, you know, there would always be these <laughs> things where you know I'd be standing in line somewhere on campus, and some girl like your name is seku, and she'd start going off about something. I was like, you're talking about the good looking one. I was like, that's not me. <laughs> <laughs> you got the wrong one. <laughs> uh, gentlemen, another uh fine week of basketball in the books. Uh also plenty of other sporting events that we will no you know, no doubt uh dive in on. But uh a- another interesting week, of course, around the NBA, uh Lang. Uh and we're and we're already uh, you know, waist deep in this in a in yet some more of this fine action around the league. What uh what do you make of these these ongoing discussions about Dwight Howard and where he might end up? We got some some good stuff on on nba.com right now uh asking the question like, you know. And it it's by Sean Powell, nba.com Sean Powell. He kind of mentioned you know that hey, trading for Dwight Howard should be on the Bulls to-do list. What other teams could you imagine Trying to get into the Dwight sweepstakes Before this thing's all over You know I,
3: I know that I think Adrian Wojnarowski Talked about Golden State mm-hmm. Possibly being in the mix um, I, I would imagine it's got to be a team With a lot of assets, a lot of young players right. um, Picks, things like that I'm still not convinced He gets traded um, I, I mean <laughs> I, I think Mark Spear's Wrote today or yesterday that Dwight doesn't expect to get traded right. anytime soon. Um, so I don't really know what happens. Do you? Do you think he'll they'll trade him?
2: I think they almost. You almost have to, don't you? I mean, we saw uh, this last year think, when a guy I don't says. Think you have to. Well, I mean, when a guy says, when when it gets public or when it when it gets known that hey, this guy says he he wants to get moved. You're almost obligated at some point to move him, I, and I know that Orlando has maintained that. Hey, that you know we're gonna try and woo him and keep him, blah blah blah. That's the same thing the Nuggets spent, you know, months saying last year, and then when it came time to get a deal, they had to get Carmelo moved and get something for him. I just, I don't see, uh, I just don't see how you can can keep him if he's already told you at one point that hey, I, I want to be moved, I want to go somewhere else right. and play.
1: Do you think right. that? There's ever a chance in these kinds of situations that you can change a player's mind when they say that, because you I mean you see it in other sports all the time, player be like, oh, I'm I'm not changing my position or I'm not doing this, and then you know money a lot of times will sort of win out at the end of the day. I mean, at the end of the day, the magic are still the ones that can pay him the most. Well, I don't I, mean, I don't
2: think money is the the driving force for a guy like Dwight. You um, know, I mean, I think I think back to Kobe's situation. You remember when Kobe's? I mean, they got him on tape in the parking lot. You know. Basically ragging on the team and saying I'm you know get me out of here. There's there's all these threats that he's you know gonna talk to the Clippers and this and mm-hmm. the other. And in the end he's you know he's obviously still in the Lakers uniform. So yeah I think I think it can change, but I think this situation is different and and I could be wrong. But I think this situation is different, Lang, in that we've had so many other instances where guys who are of his generation have have decided hey this isn't working for me here. I got to go somewhere else. I just can't imagine he goes back on that now based on what. Uh, the Magic are going to have some magical season, pun intended? I mean, like, they're going to have some... Right. I mean, what what would, what would I, keep I, them well, there is what Obviously,
3: I'm... they did start off pretty poorly. Right. Now they're they're playing better. Yeah, playing well. Um, Ryan Anderson's playing really well. Um, I, I think, you know, that. You, I don't think you can just write off Orlando. Um, also, I, I mean, obviously, people want him in Orlando. It's not like the fans have, like, turned on him or something. You know, like, they... I think fans in Orlando liked Dwight Howard and they want him to be on their team. Um, so I don't think we have to just write off Dwight Howard and say he's gone. Um, at the same time, I I get what you're saying. You know, at some point the relationship becomes toxic or just untenable and you have to do something. You gotta get rid of him or or try to do whatever's best for the franchise. If there's nothing that can be done. Um, you know, I I think about Amare when he left Phoenix and you know, they're, we spent 2 years on the beat on NBA TV talking about what team he was going to get traded to and right but it took that long you know it took it took forever there was two trade deadlines and um yeah it, eventually he just signed his contract ran out he never did get traded so
2: right but the big difference laying in that scenario was there was never this word from Amari that hey get me out of here i don't want to play in phoenix anymore amari wanted a, a max deal and he wanted a certain contract or whatever, but he wasn't right. saying get me out of here. Dwight has, right. I mean, it, it's, it's on record that he wants to go elsewhere. I guarantee you this, you'd be a lot more open to the idea of Dwight getting traded if the Hawks were that team. I bet you that.
3: I'm curious. Well, here's the thing. <laughs> I've thought about it. I, I'm curious what it, what it was, what it'll take to get him. Yeah. You know, uh, I wonder <clears throat> if it's going to be the thing where you have to mortgage, you know,
2: yeah, a couple future, of years yeah. worth
3: of draft picks yeah. and guys and all this stuff, or if, you know, I guess if Dwight, if it came to the point where he he won't commit to signing with your team long term, it might be a little easier to get him. But yeah, uh, I, I'm sure teams around the league. <laughs> there's not a lot of teams around the league that would object to having Dwight Howard on their team.
2: Yeah, it's, it's just it's very. I mean, Sean Power, like I said, raised some really good uh, points on uh, on NBA.com, and I think there there's there's plenty of teams out there that are probably sitting around and asking themselves, is it worth is it worth this? Um, I talked with Chris Perkins, a guy you guys know, covered the Heat for a long time down in South Florida, um, on his radio show earlier in the week, and we were talking about that, about the situation, and you know what could be done, and uh, every, you know, when you start looking around at teams and what it would take to get Dwight, there's only a handful of players that you could bring to the table. If I'm Orlando, there's only a handful of players you could bring to me and say. This is you're not getting equal value because I'm not going to get the best, the second best center in right. the league for Dwight. Um, but there's only so many players you could even bring to the table and I say, okay, let's talk or let's have a conversation. Let's let's discuss this. So is
1: Al Horford or Josh Smith it, it, are they one of those guys?
2: Uh, I
1: don't know if it's one. I think they would. If
3: I'm Orlando, I want more I want, than one. Yeah, I
2: want the, I want one of them and somebody else. You know,
3: uh, if you're Orlando, would you? You know, be willing to trade Dwight to a team in your own division. I don't know if I'd do that. I
2: <laughs> wouldn't. <laughs> I don't know if I'd feel comfortable doing that. I don't know if
3: I would either. I you mean, would <laughs> you want to trade him? I'd want of to West send him as far away as possible. Yeah, but... totally. If I'm, if I'm, if I'm Orlando, <laughs> but that the days
2: him. of the days of that seem to be waning as well. You know, there was a time when Chris Paul getting moved to the Clippers, you know, get moved to another team in the conference another team that's trying to do what the Hornets were trying to do is like, that would have been unheard of. Yeah. Um, but the, cl- the climate has changed in the league. The climate has absolutely changed, man. And uh, since we last talked, there's been some, some moving and shaking around the league. The Sacramento Kings no longer are coached by Paul Westfall. Um, and I know we talked about DeMarcus Cousins on the last episode of the hang time podcast uh, in that situation and how long we thought it might, might last. And I, it, I don't wanna say that we were foreshadowing bad things to come for Paul Westfall, but that was certainly part of our conversation. Now Keith Smart's a head coach there and uh Cousins is back in the in the good graces, I guess, if we will. Um but I mean we're in a we're in a stage right now, Lang, even in this abbreviated season where, you know, eight, nine, ten games in for some people, whatever it is, you're starting to look at your team and your coach and, and your situation, and asking yourself if you're the, you know, if you're the the management or the owner of these some of these teams, and saying this isn't working, we got to make a change, um, you know. And I'm wondering where else, where else do you think uh, that we're we're headed down that path around the league right now? What other teams do you think are in danger <laughs> of of getting into that sort of situation?
3: You know, we did on on the beat on NBA TV two weeks ago; they were. We did a little segment where David Aldridge <laughs> and I discussed different topics, and they one of them was and DA was like we should talk about what coach uh, is on the hot seat, and I and, and DA said Paul Westfall, and I said well I think we're eight days into the season I don't see anyone getting <laughs> getting you know run right now, and like two days later Westfall was gone. So um, I you know the I I know Flip Saunders' name has been talked about a lot. Um, I think he's still got two and a half years left on his contract. Right. Um, so I don't think that. To me, it makes sense right away. Also, that team is so young. I mean, most of the young teams, if you look at the teams that are or, or teams that are struggling right now, have new coaches. Um, right. You know, like the teams in the bottom of the standings: of Minnesota, Golden State, Houston, New Jersey, right, um, Detroit. <laughs>
2: so I don't know that you can stop now. We make people sad now. <laughs>
3: <laughs> to me, that I mean, those are the teams that are in the bottom of the standings, and to me, I don't see a change happening at any of those places.
2: Right. Well, let's. Let's revisit the the bad news later, man. Right now we got a we got a visit with one of our uh one of the best friends of the show here, Lang, uh Earl K. Sneed of Mavs dot com, fresh off his visit to Obamaville, looking clean. We saw him the other day on NBA T V, smiling and profiling for the camera. Uh Mr. Championship Ring, how you doing, man? I'm doing well, man.
0: I got fitted for my ring, see too. Who- Thank you you haven't been back to Dallas, man. This
2: is your city. We missed you, man. You were here the whole playoff. I know. We're, I mean, I'm not coming back unless somebody gives me a ring. And, I mean, I don't care if it's something out of a Cracker Jack box, but I need a ring ceremony the next time I show up. The, the
3: only ring you're going to get is on your cell phone. <laughs> what you need to do, what you need to do, go get size and then
0: tweet Mr. Cuban, at M. Cuban, and make sure you,
2: you
1: send
2: him your size, and then we'll send it to you. No doubt. No doubt, man.
1: So. Oh. Do you get, I'm just curious, uh, do you get the ring that the players get, or is there like a different one for employees? Because when I worked for the Hawks, we were allegedly going to get a ring if for they what? won one. I mean, they could have promised us it's a billion dollars for every employee when the Hawks won one, but <laughs> I'm guessing it wouldn't have been the same. But, you know, Mark Cuban, he kind of rolls like that, so I don't know. It, it's not going to be the
0: same. I can't I see that it won't be twenty-four karat gold. <laughs>
1: uh,
0: it won't be uh, diamond laced with princess cut diamonds and everything. But uh, I, I'll take what I can get right
2: now. No doubt. No <laughs> doubt. Hey Earl, uh, before we talk about the the Mavs and the season they're having so far, seriously, give me the lowdown on the White House, man. What? I mean, we're envious, obviously. What, what's it like being up in there and and hanging out with uh, POTUS and the rest of the first? family and all I those mean, people, man. What was that like?
0: Literally, he was there, and then he was gone. <laughs> <laughs> I know he had more important things to do. I'm thinking, you know, he's a Hoops fan. We're going to go down to the court shoot a couple of hoops. <laughs> you know, he came in, cracked a couple of jokes, called Dirt Slow, called that Kid Old, uh, <laughs> let Jet know that that tattoo probably wasn't a wise, wise <laughs> but, uh He said the Bulls were going to win the next year, and he was gone. Wow. So, so, no, it was a great experience, though, man. Just seeing all the uh, paintings and and in the fine china, the china room. Right. Uh, you know, it was very nostalgic. And it was like, I thought in Texas we had the biggest flies. You know, we have barbecue flies down in Texas. Right. There was a huge fly outside the window. I mean, it it was it had to be like metamorphosis of flies. <laughs> like it, it was epic. But it that might have, a that might
3: have that might have been a drone or something. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Earl, how long how long were you guys at the White House and like uh, who took like who did you guys take like a tour? Is that how it worked or, or how did you yeah. guys kind of spend the spend the time there?
0: We were there for about uh, three hours.
2: Oh wow! Yeah, we, uh,
0: we took about a forty five minute tour, but most of it was pretty much standing for a meeting greet. Uh, We came through on the east side. We never made it to the west wing. Mm. And then, of course, the press conference was in the east room. But, uh, I mean, I don't know it was a great experience just watching the guys, the looks on the guys' faces, you know. When the schedule originally came out, the Mavs weren't scheduled to play in D.C., so they didn't know if they would actually make that trip. So, you know, actually getting to see them go up and meet the president and being honored like a champion should was uh, a great uh, memorable experience for me.
3: Which player do you think enjoyed it the most?
0: You know what? Uh, Jake Kidd actually knows Obama's high school coach. Wow. And uh, they had like a little five-minute conversation, and, and they were talking about golf. You know, Jake Kidd have a golfer down in Phoenix where he makes his offseason home at. Right. And they were talking about golf also. I guess Obama's high school coach gave Jake Kidd a little dirt on him and said, you know, Obama can't go to his right. <laughs> so if you ever play against him, <laughs> you know, force him out to his right. And Obama uh, was just like, yeah, I just always went right. Nobody tried to stop me, so I never developed uh, my right hand. I always went left. So uh, they had a, a fun time, but you know, also Dirk uh, gave a little stuff. And he's like, I've never been called slow before, and the president didn't hide that. He's like, no, you know, everyone said you are slow, and it looked like it, but you came and uh, actually kind of had the best playoff run in recent memory.
2: Nice. Well, uh, hey, I cannot argue with a man who is who is. Uh... Walk the halls of the White House, man. Congratulations. Like I said, I was, was happy to see you out there. Uh, good for you, man. Good for the Mavericks. Um, Earl, I was doing this in Jess the other day when, when uh, I think y'all might have been on the buses headed over there. And Dirk said, uh, he tweeted out, like, I wish all these guys were with us. And I was kind of like just playing around going, yeah, you know, tell us how you really feel, Dirk. He was obviously talking about the trip to the White House. But, it, but if you look in the standings. And you see where this, you know, the defending champs you know are right now and the fact that they got all these bodies missing. Do you, how big of an impact do you think the absence of those guys Tyson and you know, Deshaun and these guys? How big of an impact is that having on this team right now or is it overblown?
0: I think it's a little overblown, but I think more than anything trying to integrate these new guys has been the biggest struggle for this team. When you look at the way Delonte West played, he's more than made up for J.J. Uh, Barea's loss. And J.J., I mean, congratulations to him. He got a great deal from Minnesota. Uh, Tyson, you know, he really hasn't changed the defensive culture in New York very much. So I don't, I don't <laughs> want to not take away from Tyson. I think he, he was the heart and soul of this defense last year, which really carried him to the championship. But you look at the – they've had a nice little three-headed monster here at center between uh, Brendan Haywood. Y'all, yeah, I mean, he looked great in that second unit, and then whether they decided to use Brandon Wright or Sean Williams before he got sent down to the D-League. And, you know, Kalon Butler and, and DeTon Stevenson, those are just two tough guys. So maybe they've missed the toughness more than anything, mm-hmm. but I think just integrating guys like Vince Carter, who's looked great recently, uh, Lamar Odom, who, you know, admittedly he said he probably came into camp maybe a little out of shape, but then at the same time, Coach Carlisle trying to play him at all five positions, so that's going to take a little time. And I think Delonte West has probably been the most consistent of the newcomers so far. So, I mean, just getting these guys acclimated to the new system, and you look, they started one for four, and now they're back at 500 and five for five.
3: Yeah, well, that was my – I wanted to ask you. They started out so slow, and, I mean, do you think they've turned a corner, or is this going to be the kind of thing that, you know, we have to watch all season and they're just going to improve kind of as we go along?
0: You know, I, I really uh, trust what Don Carl has to say when it comes to basketball. And uh-huh. When they uh, when the when Denver played the Mavs, he said, "Pretty much, we're not going to know what this team is going to look like probably until 10 to 15 games into the season." Well, now they're 10 games in, and they're starting to get things going. I think that loss in San Antonio was probably you know a little aberration because I mean, Spurs hit 16 threes, and it was just a barrage of threes. And and the Mavs, both the Mavs and Spurs, were playing their sixth game in eight days, but maybe the Mavs had a little bit more tired legs that game. I yeah. think uh, this game, this National televised game against Boston might tell us a lot about how this team is uh, maturing early in the season. But I think as long as they're playing their best basketball, going into the playoffs, I think that's all they want to do, just get into the tournament. I mean, we saw after the lockout in 99, the Knicks made it to the finals as A-C. So I think this team, they've shown that they can win on the bus looking last year. So I think as long as they're playing their best basketball at the end of the season, that's when we'll find out what the average really look like.
2: Earl, do you sense that the the will to defend that championship and, and the, the kind of the the atmosphere is similar to similar to what you what you witnessed last year? Like, do you feel like this team is still in that? You know, we got we got to climb this mountain mode, or is it kind of some relief and a little bit of a you know different environment around this team now that they have won a championship? I think uh,
0: when when training camp first started. You know, they were still on this championship hangover just because they hadn't been around each other. Yeah. You know, they haven't been around franchises, the lockout and everything. And, I mean, they still haven't received a ring yet. You know, they raised a, a banner, but then, you know, Miami came out and, and handed them a big loss at home. So I think uh, now that they've gone to the White House, we can pretty much close the book on last year. You know, right. they still have to receive the ring, so that's going to be an, another reminder of what last year was. But uh, also talking to Delonte West, he said so a lot of the old guys, you know, this kid, this is Terry, Dirk Nevisky has already talked about, you know, we don't want to make any mention of what happened last year because it does us no good this year. So I think now they're starting to get that hunger back. But they, I don't think they still have that same swagger that they had last year. You know, mm-hmm. they they had a, a swagger where they're like, we can go with the gym and we know we're going to win. And I think that that still has yet to develop with this team. So it'll be interesting to see how it comes. But you know, you talk about very vocal guys with Kamar Butler and, and Tyson Chandler. Jamal yeah. Uddo historically been a laid back guy since for the
3: off though. So, where does that fighter come from? Well, yeah, that was my question. Where, where does it? I mean, last year it seemed like Jason Terry kind of brought a lot of that too, getting the you know getting the tattoo and um, just not being afraid to talk about having championship aspirations. Does somebody on this team kind of need to to step up a little bit and 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 say, hey, guys, we're you know this is ours to lose.
0: Exactly. I think, I think it's going to take a big game. I mean, we, we saw teams have these players-only meetings. I don't think that a veteran team like this, you really need that. But I think you need one of the superstars, I mean, one of the older veterans to really step up and say, hey, it doesn't matter what we did last year. We right. have to go out every single night the, as the defending champs. We're going to get every team's best effort, and they're going to be coming out. And now we're the Hunters. We're not the Hunters anymore. So it's going to have to be a total switch in the mentality. I just don't know who does it. Maybe it is Jason Terry. Maybe Dirk has developed into a more vocal guy than he historically has been. You know, at this point, they did. I mean, he's been in the league just his 18th season now. So I I don't think that would be the guy to do it. But maybe it's one of the newcomers. Maybe it is Lamar Odom. He's talked to the guys because he's been down this road of trying to repeat, and he knows how hard it is. So maybe he is the guy that has to step up.
2: Earl, if there's one guy you could pick who's playing a, a different role on that team this year, um, and I have a guy in my in my mind who I think I'm, I'm really not surprised to see him step up, but if there's one guy you could pick out of everybody that's new faces and everything that stepped into a, a role and surprised you a little bit, who would it be? know Everyone expected him to be the
0: backup point guard. I mean this uh, card started the first game at the two and and Delonte has been starting ever since. Jake goes down, so Delonte has the two to the point. But but he's brought on a consistent basis about He's been the most consistent defensive player. In the team. And then you talk about in Detroit he had ten assists and still. So I mean what he's been able to bring to this grittiness, toughness, maybe the same thing that uh, Stevenson can bring, but also the the versatility of
2: playing the point from the two off the ball, I think the me. No doubt about it. Well listen Earl, we appreciate it man. And uh you know, like I said, stay clean down there. You know, when you get the ring, <laughs> make sure you tweet us a picture so we see what it looks like, you know. Keep it keep it classy, you know, don't just right. don't throw it all up in our faces, but we do want to see I mean, it.
0: I'm not gonna throw it in everybody's face. I'll, I'll just send you a DM. I appreciate and that. <laughs> that <I> <laughs> no, nah, but
2: it's
0: all up, of course. Like I said, stay cool. Go to Johnson. Go get size, and send a send a message to him, Cuban, and see if he can get you hooked
2: up. No doubt, man. It's Dunzers. Appreciate it, Earl. Talk to you now.
0: No doubt, man. All right,
2: Thanks, bro. Earl. Earl Case Need at dot com. And like, I I don't know if. My, my headset went crazy, but I think he was talking about Delonte West. Yeah. Um, yeah. Is, is, is who he was talking about as a guy who stepped up and surprised him. You know who the guy is that really struck me on that team? Is, that a guy who was kind of ready for prime time or, or get building to that last year was uh, Jan Mahimi. Yeah. And I think he's continued to play really well. It's going to be interesting to see if that Mavericks team, like you asked him, turns a corner or are they, are you know, are they going to be stuck in, in neutral trying to, you know, adjust to these new faces and, you know, and all these different guys that they're trying to integrate into the mix. But uh congrats to them. Congrats to Earl. It's good for them.
3: I, I'm waiting for you to send that tweet to Mark Cuban, the like girl suggested. <laughs> I can't wait to see how that goes over. Man,
2: I, I guarantee you that ring, that tweet's not getting a response and there will be no ring. So Um I'm not counting on it. You know. I'm not counting on it at all. But
3: uh Hey, so we have a new segment, Seiko.
2: I heard about this. Let's let's well, let's so hear this.
3: So I think Micah had Micah came up with a name for it. Um, de- depends on how you look at it. If right. anyone can top that, let us know. Um, we're open, but good luck. So, <laughs> so, so we we just we were talking about um, you know part of being on NBA.com is we have access to all the audio from the different games. So we wanted to take uh, an exciting finish from a game and listen to both calls of it from each team, the winning team and the losing team. Um, so. For this first one, we've got from uh, about a week and a half ago, Denver, L.A. Um, Kobe, I think, misses a shot toward the end, and the Nuggets get the ball. Gallinari goes in for a layup and, and misses it with a chance to, I guess I guess it was a chance to tie or win. Mm-hmm. Uh, but we have both calls of it, and I think we start with, uh, with Denver's call of the game. Gallinari guarding Kobe Bryant. Gets it back to Steve Blake.
1: Back off to Kobe Bryant. Kobe has it with eight on the shot clock. Gallinari on him one-on-one. Now five on the clock. Kobe Bryant pulls up. Long two. Missed it. Rebound down to Andre Miller. Seven seconds left. Gallo's leaking out. Layup is no good. A point-blank layup missed by Gallinari. And Denver's going to go home. Probably a loser to the L.A. Lakers. Oh, man. That's a killer. <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man five in the shotgun pull it from 22 feet in and out no and here come the nuggets gallinari alone at the other end blake interrupted the shot he missed the layup and a foul in the nuggets gallinari had a layup and steve blake got just enough in his way to have him miss it
3: (laughs) i love that split second of silence when the ball (laughs) when he's up in the air and the ball's like between his hand and the rim and you don't know what's going to happen Everyone in Queen. Hey, we should probably mention just right now, since we played that clip, Mr. Kobe Bryant's game last night.
2: Uh, You think? Season (laughs) high, what, 48?
3: (laughs) I was out there. I was in LA all week last week, and I went to a Lakers game. And, um, you know, there's a lot of worry about Kobe and his injury and and the Lakers in general. And uh, it was so, it was kind of fun last night just to be reminded that. Kobe to kind of say, "Hey, hey guys, I, I can still do this."
2: That's when you—that's when you should not worry about Kobe, because think about it. Every time he supposedly his fingers messed up or his knee is hurting, and he had it drained or his wrist, he always balls out. Yeah, and just goes off when people are saying, "Oh, you know, Kobe's getting old," or he's you know he's a little wounded and this and the other. That's when Kobe goes off. So I, I expected him to do. I mean, I didn't expect 48 and the reverse, oops, and all that. Necessarily with that bad wrist, but uh, I expect Kobe <laughs> to play well when people start doubting him, which is basically his favorite pastime. Is you know the minute they start pounding on Kobe about getting old or you know he's not the Kobe he used to be, he makes sure to remind everybody that he's still you know that Kobe. Um, <laughs> I think something funny though Lang about the call. Uh, and Michael, what's the name of what's the name of that new segment that since we're gonna. Depends I mean, on since how we just we did it without any kind of like no skin on. The, I mean, if he, anybody
1: out there wants to, you know, come up with a theme song for it, by he left means, you hanging, Lang.
2: I mean, that's cool. He's just like, uh, "Yeah, Lang, go ahead." The new segment, whatever I called it. Oh, uh, de- depends on how you how <laughs> we
3: look at it.
1: Depends <laughs> on how you look at it.
3: <laughs> that's kind of a mouthful.
2: <laughs> nice, nice.
3: We we, we get. I want to come up
2: with some... an acronym for that, Mike, or something. Um, Maybe it's more concise. The funny part about that is, on one call they mentioned Steve Blake. And how, oh, he got just enough in the way to, on the other call. Did they even mention Blake's name on the other on the, on the Denver call? I don't think so. I mean, it's like, he, I don't know, it's just, you can tell. he was
1: on the same side of the court as Gallinari. But that's but about it's it, right? real charitable to say that he interrupted it.
2: Yeah, I'm just saying, that's kind of strange that uh, he was in one, you know, in one call prominently <laughs> and then completely left out of the other.
3: Uh, well, you know, it depends on how you look at it. <laughs> <laughs>
2: I like it though. I like it because there are a bunch of other calls that'll happen throughout the course of the season that will will bear listening uh, on yep. our parts to try and you know gauge what was what, and then being able to see it obviously you go to NBA. dot com and you can look at all these things. Um, you know, if you get on there and watch it, and then you hear both calls, it, it's you know it's like it's like having league pass. You right. know, if I didn't have league pass, I wouldn't I wouldn't have experienced Stacy King, you know, <laughs> doing a Bulls game. Which, to, folks, I'm telling you. If you haven't, it's an experience. This league pass is worth the money, but for no other reason than to listen to Stacey King call the Bulls. Need, we game.
3: need to get Stacey King on the podcast.
2: We had him on here before, didn't we, uh, Michael? I'm, we talked to Stacey King on here before, haven't we? I don't think so. Where do? Where do or maybe we did. Maybe we had had him on the jump before. Maybe, um, but yeah. I mean, I, I that always cracks me up. Like you, you know who, you know who's calling the game basically without even watching yeah. the game. You just listen to the announcers, you know. Uh, but. Yeah, I, I you know that 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 thing has potential, Lang. Eh? Good you know, good job. Now if Micah would just help you out <laughs> with uh, you know with some kind of snazzy I'm, lead-in music. Yeah, you know? maybe
3: we need like some music or <laughs> something like uh...
2: get it together, Micah. We're gonna, we're, gonna to, we're gonna have to work on this guy. Uh, before we talk to Earl, um, you know, we were chatting about struggling teams, and and again, I don't want to make. I don't want to I don't want to bang on the bad teams or the teams that are, that are going through some things um this time of year but it it bears watching to me this is the danger zone in the year for a lot of different teams um to, you know to keep an eye on them and just to to gauge how this season is wearing on them and
3: uh well let me say this I was in LA you know as I mentioned last week and mm-hmm. Every player you talk to, every coach you talk to, every writer you talk to talks about this schedule. Right. Um, guys are exhausted. Steven Jackson said he feels like he's going through two days right now. Right. Um, there wasn't really a huge training camp leading into this, so you know maybe guys weren't able to, to put in the work that they teams wanted them to put in. So, um, so I was talking to Micah during the week, and I said, Let, "Let's talk to a strength coach or a trainer or somebody who can talk about this." Right so we got one.
2: <laughs> yeah, Steve well, Hess. Fellas,
3: hey, Steve man, how you bottom
5: doing? Bottom the barrel, and look what you came up with. <laughs> <laughs> we Steve, went right for the top of the line. That's right, we went to the st- top of the line, man. <laughs> Steve Hess of the Denver yeah, you know, Nuggets. Yeah. You got eight rejections, and the ninth call you had some idiot saying, yeah, 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 I'll do it, I'll do it.
2: <laughs> <laughs> how are you, man? Unbelievable, yourself? Good, good. We're great, man. Um, th- That's an interesting point that Lang brought up, you know, just players talking about what kind of wear and tear – this season is having on them with the you know, back-to-back-to-back games and the compressed schedule. What kind of stress does that put on you and your staff trying to keep the players as, as fresh as possible with all these games coming at them like that?
5: You know, here's the great thing. It's an even field. We're all under the same stresses, and, and to be a 1,000% honest with you, when it comes to our staff, our medical staff, our coaches, um, headed by George Carl, who has a, a really positive outlook, he's, he's had to deal with real situations. This is just a situation that is somewhat exciting because you got to kind of have a different approach. I don't feel it um, at all. Uh, my obligation to have a look at the schedule and be like, "Oh my gosh, this is going to be so tough." That's not my responsibility. I got to find a way to to get this uh, bearable through the for the guys. Now mm-hmm. that being said. Um, the, the traveling and stuff has um, got to be crazy if you've got to play 38 minutes a night, and sometimes you've got to play six games in eight nights, and yes. you're 270 pounds and you're seven feet. So it's easy for me to sit back and say, oh, you know, this is not so tough. Of course it's absolutely challenging. we just got to do uh, whatever we can um, to make this as bearable as possible for the guys, with, and this is just in my opinion, uh, without getting anyone to panic. Because in my belief, gentlemen, Lang, Suko, uh, I'm a huge believer that the mind's the strongest thing you have. Now all of a sudden you've got training staff feeding into the whole thing. Oh, it's done. It's a wrap. It's so tough. That's going to hurt them. So I'm definitely a huge believer in saying, okay, what can we actively do to regenerate the body as quickly as possible? But a huge component of it is the mental aspect. Got to keep these guys upbeat.
3: Yeah, you sound like you might have a problem staying upbeat, Steve. <laughs> <Like, laughs> no, nah, do.
5: listen, I, I, have, I have a major, major endorsement <laughs> deal with caffeine. So like, <laughs> it's like, I, I go home, I'm the only person, I give myself a headache. I got a nine-year-old that's like, Dad, you've got to stop talking. So, no, nah, I, don't, I don't have a, a, a problem with that. But, again, we have to be realistic. So you'd say to me, um, what are we doing differently? Mm. We have things like muscle activation techniques, which we are doing a lot more. Uh, we're utilizing acupuncture. We're utilizing um, things like recharge suits when we travel. And we have a trigger point system which we'll use in every stretch. We try to get the guys' rollers to get blood flow when they get to the hotel rooms. Um, the one thing um, I'm a huge believer in as well is, gentlemen, within, within the muscle, there's muscle spindle. And a lot of times um, you've got to be careful how you get that to fire. So, um, you know, I've heard a lot of things. About, you know, we're going to do extra yoga, or extra stretching, and take out the lifting. But my one concern is the bodies are used to doing it a certain way. And if you get a muscle to contract appropriately, a lot of times that's more beneficial than loading it in something it's not used to. So, for example, there's no exact formula where we can say just take our weight lifting and add stretching. Have either of you ever taken a yoga class?
2: No, I never have.
3: I, I tried oh. once
5: pretty hard right yeah i nearly (laughs) bumped in my head okay i was so sore afterwards i wanted to shoot myself i'm saying okay if i'm going to just say okay let's just stretch these guys and you know it's not within the realm of the range that they're used to doing you're overloading the system so our biggest thing that we're concentrating on is how do we get the maximum benefit from everything we do with loading the system as little as possible and that's what we're trying to do Well,
3: you mentioned also, Steve, you mentioned kind of trying to make it bearable for the players. Um, Is that different this season than previous seasons or is that kind of your goal, you know, no matter what your what season you have, if you have back to back to backs or if you're just playing, you know, every other day or whatever?
5: Um, you know what, that's a, that's a really good question because every season has its challenges. It doesn't matter if it's a shortened season or a lengthened season. You know, this the one thing about this is you could even argue to a specific point. Um, for, for your guys playing a lot of minutes, this is this is challenging. Um, for your guys playing less minutes, the the travel and different cities, different time zones, I mean, like I'll wake up and walk a wall and I'm just like, <laughs> and as I say, um, I'm just a strength strength conditioning guy. So it, it does, but everything possesses challenges. And you could argue that, you know, if you have a normal season and you have a, a veteran team mixed in with a young team, like we have some veteran guys and we're having longer practices and, you know, a coach wants a run-and-gun team and the young guys get a lot of playing practices, but if the coach wants the older guys, they may be on their feet for three to four hours where now practices have to be shortened. The, the issue with what we're trying to do is, I know George wants us to play fast. And, and yeah. as I say, when it, you know how it is, when the lights go on and the popcorns popping, and it's a whole nother level, and you're saying like, "Go fast," you are absolutely taxing your system. So it's different. It's definitely a different challenge than the normal season. But please don't think for for a second um, everyone doesn't have similar challenges in a normal right. season as well.
2: Steve, is it different? Uh, you know, at altitude. I know I, you hear teams talk about it all the time, uh, playing, up, you know, in Denver. Does that make the training different?
5: There, There is an absolute physiological adaptation that occurs at altitude. Otherwise, all the top endurance athletes would not train at altitude. Mm-hmm. It's similar to once you um, get your body used to it, the hemoglobin and your ability to utilize oxygen within your system. Once you benefit at altitude, when you go down to sea level, you're definitely more efficient. So it does take time to get uh, acclimatized to altitude. The one thing that people don't really understand, if you're a team traveling into altitude, it's, it's more of a long-term effect. So you in and out, it doesn't affect you. So when you're here for the, 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 the period from short-term to long-term, so three, four, five weeks as opposed to full adaptation, that's when it affects you. But it is definitely – a a hindrance at this altitude largely because it dries you out so if you've ever sprinted and and your throat gets dry it's hard for you to breathe that's the immediate reason but again there is a physiological adaptation to training at altitude so long term it absolutely does help you cardiovascularly to train at altitude
3: steve i know you're you're um originally from south africa how did how did you end up in denver absolute luck (laughs)
5: Yes. Man, listen, I, I went. I got my undergraduate degree at Ithaca College. Denver looked like a good spot, ended up there, went back to get my master's, and then my gorgeous wife is from Denver, came back here. Uh, Fifteen years ago, I got this job out of luck, somehow been able to hold on to it, and this is the greatest, is the greatest place I've ever lived. Unbelievable right. place.
2: No doubt about it. Steve Hess of the Denver Nuggets, strength and conditioning coach. Uh, and, Steve, we can't let you go, man. We, we're scanning the Twitter. And uh, this is this might be the most entertaining and best Twitter I've ever Twitter feed I've ever seen. Uh, Gary Forbes talking about needing a a Philly chicken cheesesteak. And and you're giving I'm assuming I'm assuming you keep up with your players on Twitter as well because you busted his chops and told him, yo, son, it ain't on your diet. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um, Listen. You you need not follow either one of us, then, if you're busting people's chops about their diets because we, we don't eat good either. <laughs> but you wouldn't Twitter about it. <laughs> That's true. L- listen, man, we, we appreciate you so much. And we're going to talk to you again, hopefully, throughout the course of this season, man. We'll catch back up with you and see how the nuggets are holding up out there. All
5: right? Gentlemen, listen, I appreciate the opportunity. Anytime you need me, um, just give me a call. Once again, thank you so much for the opportunity.
2: No doubt no about problem. it. Steve Hess of the Denver Nuggets. You can catch him on Twitter at, at SteveHess1. Very entertaining stuff and very informative. Line. That's, uh, that's a great idea to talk to somebody who is in a, in a different part of this whole big operation that is the NBA. Strength and conditioning coaches around the league, I would imagine, have some really interesting things to deal with uh, in a season like this. So,
3: and I'm wondering, I mean, I think it would be good to talk to him as we go along. Yeah, absolutely. the more this goes and the more, you know, it, it's just looking at schedules. It's crazy. To, yeah. You know, it feels like we're like three months into the season and we're, we're barely two weeks. Um, and, you know, there, there's no time off for anybody.
2: No. Plus, he called me Suko. I love that. Lang, before I forget, a uh, good friend of ours, Arthur Trish, <laughs> a longtime PR director at Atlanta Hawks, I hope. I hope he's listening to the podcast this week because uh we're gonna spend a couple seconds here having a chuckle at his expense. You know he was on the sideline for yeah. uh the BCS national championship game the other night at at uh the dome in New Orleans. Didn't go so well for his L S U Tigers. Um did you watch did you watch the game? I mean, were you able to sit down and enjoy the beating that uh was administered that night or
3: I have a story that involves Arthur and <laughs> other people actually
2: this is always good so
3: i, I a couple of days before the championship I, well first of all let me say this my my grandfather was a lived in alabama was a huge alabama fan he had a room in his house he called the alabama room where mm-hmm. he had like a you know all this alabama paraphernalia um so i i grew up you know i i'm a georgia fan i went to georgia but i i i, I root for alabama if, if all things are equal right um so I wanted to watch that game. My family is sort of the same way. We none of us are like huge primary Alabama fans, but we you know, we we want them to win. So I was going to watch the game um, on Monday night. Before Christmas, my wife gives me uh, or at Christmas, my wife one of the things she gave me gave me was tickets for a concert on January, whatever day that was, Monday the 9th, was that what it was? She gave me tickets for the show um, on Monday night. At Lincoln Center and it was Branford Marsalis and Harry Connick Jr. Mm-hmm. Um, I interviewed Branford like 10 years ago for the or maybe more than that for the paper in Atlanta right um, and we ended up since that time we've emailed a couple times I wouldn't say we're friends by any sense of that but right. we've emailed a couple times and you know he's a great guy he actually went to high school with Arthur Trish in New Orleans right so Arthur knows him too so Arthur and I were tweeting back and forth before the game and i was like actually i'm not going to be able to watch it live because i'm going to see branford um arthur's like hey tell him i said hello if you speak to him and i was like yeah so actually i think i'll send him an email and tell him i'm gonna go Um, not expecting to anything to come up so i sent him an email and i was like hey i'll be at the show looking forward to seeing it uh just whatever you do uh, please don't give out the score because i'm gonna be (laughs) taping it and i want to get home so i you know i I sign off twitter for the night i uh I make sure I'm not going to get texts or emails from anyone, whatever we go to the concert. And at one point, Branford and Harry Connick are on the stage and, and Branford says, uh, you know, you know, Harry and I both from new Orleans. So we're obviously rooting for LSU tonight. And there was some smattering of applause. And then he says, uh, my friend Lang Whitaker sent me an email, <laughs> and my wife like squeezes my leg. <laughs> I was like, "Oh!" <laughs> and he says, uh, "Lang asked me not to give out the score tonight, so I'm not going to say the score." So Lang, you get your wish. Uh, and then he goes on with the show, and it was, you know, it was obviously awesome. So right. afterwards, my wife said, like, "We should go say try to get backstage and say hello." So we we talked our way back and talked to him for a few minutes, and and I. You know, said, by the way, Arthur says hello. Uh and he's like, Oh yeah. And I was like, Arthur's at the game. Do you know what's happening at the game? And he goes, I know what's happening, but I'm I'm not I won't say anything. And I said, Okay, cool. Uh we get home, I sit down on the couch, turn on the D V R, start to play. My cell phone rings, and it's my mom calling from her cell phone. And I'm thinking, Why is she calling from her cell phone? You know, it's midnight is something going on like right. i don't know i'm a little nervous i answer the phone hello and she goes roll tie, <laughs> <laughs> roll
2: yeah it was, they and they rolled
3: <laughs> and i was like oh great so and i ended rolled. up i watched the game then knowing who won and uh i called arthur after the game and uh and i was he had, i guess he was back in his hotel or wherever he was staying and he was like yeah it uh he goes we just <sighs> and i said yeah that that kind of explains it really
1: yeah I, mean, I
2: i talked to him i had people calling me asking me if he was all right like you know i was like what do you mean is he all right well if you talk to him is he okay he didn't he didn't jump in lake punch train did he i was like
1: Man. <laughs> a, <laughs> a lot, lot of the people saints were in the playoffs i bet he's handling all <laughs> right. exactly
2: i said he still got the saints to cling to so
3: a lot of people were saying it was a bad game and maybe i, I thought it was a pretty fun game to watch i didn't I know, like Twitter and all that. People were like, "Oh, this is not an exciting game." But I mean, to me, I, I thought Alabama's defense was unbelievable. Yeah, mean, it, was, it, was, it,
2: it left a little to be desired in the uh, offensive, exciting category. game department. I thought right. I just, I just felt like you know, if you're going to be on, if you're going to be on that stage, if you're going to get to that point in the season, you got to pull out all the stops. And I didn't feel like LSU really pushed the envelope. They just tried oh, to I do the same thing they always that. did, and it was like, "Come on, man!"
3: But people were like, you know, well. Oklahoma State or Stanford were to pass the ball more. But, I mean, there's a reason Alabama had the number one defense in the country yeah. <laughs> for the entire season. Right, you right. Know? I mean, I'll I mean, give
2: them that. I'm just saying. Maybe it, they
3: would have taken more shots downfield or, you know.
2: Something. A trick yeah. play or something. I mean, you got to do something. You got to try something. I agree um, with that. But, no, it was a, a nice way to end, you know, in the, the college season and, and allow you must, us to. You must
3: be feeling good about Michigan.
2: I, I didn't want to bring my Wolverines up, but.
3: Do you feel good about. Since you what, mentioned it. What's down the road?
2: Yeah, I, I feel better now than I did, obviously, the last few years. The thing I like about it, though, and and this brings me to a larger point about coaching in general, I, I feel like you have to coach appropriate, you know, for the team you have. And uh, And I felt like the coach we had, the Brady Hoke, was a guy who came in and he didn't try and make the players we had fit into a system that didn't work for him. He just came in and coached the cats that were on the squad. And right. you coach them up to the best they can be, and you don't worry about you know this isn't the guy I need for that spot, so therefore, then I'm a, I'm gonna throw him under the bus or I'm gonna you know I'm gonna move on and try something different. You coach appropriately, and I, and that brings me back to what we started the show talking about, um, you know, or we, we mentioned earlier in the show just some differences in how teams are faring so far in this NBA season. Lane. Right? I'm are you? Do you feel comfortable that some of these teams who are struggling are being coached appropriately, or you know, because I've I've had conversations with people about uh, the Kings situation, you know, um, I talked to people about the situation going on with the Wizards, uh, you know, some other teams that have been struggling. And the conversation has shifted from, well, you know, it's not all a coach's fault and the players have to you know, bear this sort of responsibility. And then the front office and this this, that, and the other. But I feel like if you want to be a competitive team, you have to coach appropriate to the talent you have. And I think what Doug Collins is doing in Philadelphia to me is, right. is surprising even to me. And uh, and and Bones Brent Barry has been talking about it since last season, that he was like, man, Doug's the perfect coach for this team. You know, he's going to do a lot of different things. You know, work wonders with some of these guys. He said and the other, I didn't see it as much last year as I see it now. Like I see the what Bones was talking about now. Sometimes you just need a coach who understands. Hey, whatever your limitations are as a as a roster or whatever talent limitations you might have, if you put players in the proper positions, right? They'll they'll generally be successful. Um, and I'm curious, do you see that in with some of the teams that are struggling right now?
3: I think one of the differences here is that Philadelphia, as you said, you know last year they struggled, and this year they're kind of clicking a little bit better. and I think some of these teams that are that are struggling right now, like a Washington, for example, um, I don't know that those players are mature enough or, or you know, have gotten good enough as a team together right to turn that corner yet. Like you look at Philadelphia, Evan Turner almost had a triple-double off the bench last night. Um, and I don't know if a year ago he, he was good enough and, and knew the NBA game well enough to be able to do that. Right. You know what I mean? Like, so I think some of these teams, like uh, like a New Jersey and, and Detroit, Washington, and the East, like th- these are really young teams. Charlotte, um, these are really young teams. And I don't know that it's right for us to expect them to, you know, I don't know, be fighting for a playoff spot right away.
2: Yeah. I, I just I just think it is one of those things that bears examining, you know, around the league. Like, do we have the right, you know, because sometimes when a coach like Westfall situation in Sacramento, I don't know that it's so much that he's not a good coach. He might, just, you know, he might not have been the, the right coach for that situation, right. you know, for that particular team. Um, I mean, he went to the finals
3: before. Yeah. So <laughs> you know? I mean
2: this is a guy who obviously, you know, and, and coaches know they get hired to get fired at some point i mean that's it's you know we're not being insensitive talking about coaches like this but i feel like that's one of those deals where if i'm a if i'm a franchise one thing i am i'm really putting a magnifying glass on in a in an abbreviated season like this is do i have the right coach for my team and is he able to adjust and and deal well, with some of the different adversities he might see during here's season. the
3: flip side of that is that a lot of these teams like um Like, say, in Minnesota, you know, they have a new coach, Rick Adelman, and they've had two preseason games and a week of practice. Uh, Is that enough time for a coach to be able to make a difference with with a new team or a new system or, you know, something like that? Mark Jackson in Golden State, he's new. Has he had a chance? They've had injuries, Steph Curry. They've had two preseason games, and now they're kind of learning on the fly. Um, big win over know. the
2: heat, you know what I mean? Yeah. I mean, they're good. true. I think they'll have moments, you know,
3: Mike Brown in LA talked about like that. They had their first day off something like a week ago from the, from the start of training camp until now. And the guys were just beat. Yeah. And he was saying like, I think it was yesterday. He wanted to put in a new play at practice and the other coaches had to talk him out of it because cause they were like, you know, we're, we're overwhelming these guys a little bit right now. And I, so I think that's a story like around the league that kind of bears watching too, is, is maybe this isn't the time to, um, you know, if you're a coach, do you feel like this is a a time that you can actually do everything you want to do? Yeah,
2: it it it's one of those things where Lang, uh, and, and our next guest is a guy who, unfortunately for him, is a veteran of coaching searches <laughs> and uh, <laughs> and some of the turmoil and trials and tribulations that can uh, you know that can be befall a beat writer uh, in the NBA. But Michael Leah, the Washington Post. Uh, is a is a guy who knows all about this and knows about that that delicate dynamic, you know, between coach, team, you know, GM and all that stuff. And uh, he and I were talking about this early in the week, um, messaging back and forth about it. You know, the, the the wizard situation and just where does the responsibility lie? And is this about you know the coach? Is this about the players? Is this about the the group put together by the front office? And is said the other. We needed to, you know, we needed to talk to Mike. I think on that specific topic, and and that's why I'm glad he's joining us now. Because if anybody has some insight into that, it would be him. So, Mike, what's happening? I know you fresh off the plane, man. The life of an NBA beat writer. Um, we we've been beating around the, the Wizards' bush on the on the podcast all day today, talking about teams that are struggling or teams that are trying to find an identity. And you know, where does the onus lie, man? And we, I know we chatted about it. Um, early in the week on, on Twitter and and I'm curious man just where do we look if if we're looking at the Wizards situation and wanting to get an answer as to why you know they got one win at this stage of the season and, and not more
4: well I think it's kind of a situation where you just have a lot of guys who are miscast in, in roles that exceed either their level of talent or just their abilities I mean right now um, you know, they drafted John Wall as the number one overall pick. And in an effort to kind of promote the franchise and try to move away from the old era of Gilbert Arenas, they anointed him the face of the franchise. They anointed the franchise to him before he figured out who he is as a player and what he wants to be. And that put a lot of pressure on him, a lot of strain on him. All of a sudden carry a lot of weight that he didn't necessarily have. So then you have, you know, JaVale McGee, you know, who's being, you know, Supreme athlete, an incredible athlete, who still hasn't figured out how to play basketball. But the fact that he's a seven-foot freak who just does amazing things on the basketball floor—you know—all of a sudden he winds up being invited to the Team USA tryout. He's, you know, so then all of a sudden he feels like he's he's a next-level center, but he still hasn't figured out how to play. You got Andre Blatch, who had been a backup for his entire time, and then all of a sudden, you know, everybody gets traded away, and now he's there you know, starting power forward. Nick Young had been a backup, and then everybody traded away and all. He's he's their leading scorer last year. So everybody kind of feels that they're entitled to be a starter. Starters, they feel they're stars. They haven't really arrived yet. And that created a lot of chemistry with this squad coming into the season because a lot everybody felt that it was their role to be the man. And, you know, the only guy on the roster who has all-star credentials – who has been to the NBA Finals, who's been in the playoffs, is Rashard Lewis. And he's right. sort the tail end of his career, and uh, he's dealing with knee problems. So he's, he's the one guy that actually has, the, has those credentials, <laughs> but he's not necessarily at that level anymore. So you got a kind of a, a group of guys who are kind of miscast and, and uh, being placed in positions that probably can succeed their abilities right now. And that, I think that's just led to just a really bad situation.
3: We, Michael, you know they they won their first game last night um, against Toronto, and, and they're some of the games leading up to this. They were they were in the games like the Knicks, and you know they they played Boston okay. And it, is this team getting better, or is this a team that you think is still going to struggle for a while as the season goes along?
4: I still see this team struggling a lot. Uh, last night, uh, uh, Leanders did an adjustment to the lineup. He uh, put Trevor Booker in the game. Who's like a real high energy guy who, who just right. kind of sets the tone just with his defense and effort, and I think that's kind of what they needed because in the in the past they had a they had five offensive minded players on the floor, and there right. was nobody really out there willing to just do the dirty work. No one's willing to hustle. No one's willing to scrap. No one's willing to defend. Everybody's just waiting for their turn to get the shots. And I think having those guys on the floor was was good. It was a good change of pace. Um, but I think that the limitations of that lineup and the fact that they really don't. Like Trevor's not a four, but he can do some things if he's, you know, getting rebound tips and put back some things. But there are limitations with that. And I think there are definite, definite limitations with the talent on on this roster. So I think they will struggle throughout. And and I, and I said it before, you know, they have, you know, young guys are developing and they're trying to, you know, turn them into solid pros. And, but youth isn't really the issue. I think it's more of a talent issue when you look at the fact that they have two lottery picks on their entire roster, which is the lowest of any team in the league other than Indiana. Wow. And uh, it's going to be hard to step on the court every night at a decided disadvantage. You know, so they can play hard, they can compete, they can go as as much as they want, but the uh, margin for error is a lot lesser for them than any other team because they don't have the opportunity to on those nights when you don't have the energy coming off a back-to-back You know, you can't really play as hard as you want to. Those nights you can just rely on your talent to just finish out the game. They have to play hard and play at a really high level every single night to compete and hope that their opponent doesn't have enough talent to compensate. That's kind of what happened last night. They came out, they played hard, they gave effort, they got a great effort from their rookie, and everybody just just went all out. And they looked like a really good, competent team. But if they're going up against a superior team, a superior, talented team, that, that may not be enough all the time. So, yeah, I think they'll struggle pretty much most of the season.
2: Mike, do you think it's unfair for uh, people outside of that situation to point at Flip Saunders and to drop this at his feet and say, well, you know, Flip's not getting it done? You know, he I mean, do you think that may be a bit premature, a little bit unfair to to, to heap this on his shoulders?
4: Well, I mean, I can understand how you can look at the record and say, you know, Flip is fifty and one hundred and twenty-three since he's been in Washington. Clearly, he's not getting it done, get rid of him. But the, the question that I ask yourself is that what coach is going to come in and really win with this with this with this collection of talent? And um, and you that's that's kind of the question you got to answer. And if you don't have that answer, I think it's kind of it's, not, it's kind of short-sighted to say you got to fire a coach, especially when you say that. You know, three of the guys that have been around for the longest, Javel McGee, Andrew Blatch, and Nick Young, Nick Flip already the third coach. You know, you bring in another coach, you're changing the course on this rebuild that Flip didn't necessarily sign up for. Yeah. You know, Flip signed up to coach, you know, Antoine Jamison, Ron Butler, Gilbert Arenas, a playoff team that expected to have veterans that could police themselves, that could be mature and can go out there and do the job. Obviously, you know, Gilbert brought guns that first year, and maybe that's that's on his watch, and that's that's a mistake that he made. So once the team decided to rebuild, and you're you're, you're kind of changing the course and changing the level of expectation for what the team is supposed to do, and considering that they didn't really have like a, a, a core like young like blossoming blossoming yet lottery talent that all of a sudden he's screwing over. I mean, it, it's kind of tough to say, well, they're losing; it's his fault. When you really don't have the the, the base of talent. And, uh, and experience to really
3: have high expectations of anything other than what they're doing right now you know mike you and i were in vegas together this summer and we saw a bunch of the wizards were playing out there the impact basketball um and john wall looked amazing out there you remember he was just flying up and down the court and uh Incredible. looked great uh, how has he played this season what what's his take on all this stuff
4: you know, it's really been difficult because, I mean, I knew during the summer, you know, John had an incredible summer, like I said, in Las Vegas. I mean, he was averaging like 40 a game. He was just an unstoppable force out there on the basketball court. And he was hitting jumpers. He was playing with such a high level of confidence that I just I just expected that this would be a true breakout year for him. And mm-hmm. that hasn't been the case at all. And I think a lot of it is the frustration and the fact that I think he, he expects – that as a number one pick, he's supposed to be at a certain standard as, as a player, that he's supposed to be doing whatever Derrick Rose is doing, that he's supposed to be doing whatever Russell Westbrook or anybody who plays his position, that's a supreme athlete, that does what he does, it's, you know, what he's expected to do. And I think he's kind of come into the year saying, well, this has got to be my year. But he's not really surrounded by the talent that's going to allow him to kind of utilize his abilities to that level. And I think that, you know, he's trying to do too much. He's struggling to try to figure out, do I need to average 20 or do I need to average 10 assists? Um, and he hasn't done a good job of doing either um, early on because, you know, he's got teammates, a lot of ball stoppers, the ball, um, you know, once, one pass, one shot, so he can't really get assists. And then uh, out of frustration, after a couple of missed shots, he decides to just go one on five and just take it to the cup and get fouled, or make, or, or make, or miss a layup. Actually, because he hasn't really converted his layups this year, and it's just really just created this really bad cycle to where he's really looking like he's regressing some this year. And you wonder if that that summer league ball, where there's kind of like uh, kind of apathetic defense play, may have really given him a false sense of confidence about what he can actually do when he steps onto an NBA court. When teams have already figured out that he plays at that breakneck speed you know, just try to neutralize that speed and then force him to jump, be a jump shooter. Right. And I think that the more teams are forcing him to be a jump shooter, the more he kind of reverts to what he was dealing with last year When whenever, you know, they had a pick-and-roll and the, and the guard would just go under. He knew he had to shoot the ball, and you would just see this panic in his face, and he would shoot the ball with with this hitch, like, oh, gosh, please go in, and that's kind of what's been happening. So um, I think what, what John really has to do is just kind of take a step back and just not put all this pressure on himself that he has to be whatever anybody expects him to be. And just try to play ball. And I think he has too much stuff going on in his head right now, saying that he's got to be this, he's got to be that, and, it's, and, and he's not really just being John Wall.
2: Mike, in a in a, in a city with obviously lots of other things going on, um, you know, and, and in a place where the Redskins, I would imagine, garner the the top billing on the sports, you know. Uh, in order how much pressure outside pressure is there on the Wizards right now with this start and and the way they're playing like how much scrutiny are they getting beyond you know in, in and around DC, DC right now yeah
4: well I mean the one problem that the Wizards have is that they've been bad for so long that you know fans I think kind of expect them to be kind of bad you mm-hmm. know I mean uh they changed the name to the Wizards in 97 and they Made the playoffs four times in the last, you know, fourteen years. So, mm-hmm. you know, you kind of just like, oh, it's the Wizards. You know, oh yeah, they're pretty bad. So I think people just kind of just come to accept that that that's just the way it's going to be. And um, and I, I think that there's not like a lot of pressure saying like some fans because the expectation is already so low. Yeah. So, uh, but I think fans are getting frustrated in the sense that you know this is going to this is going to be probably the fourth straight year that they make it to the lottery, and, you know, right now, you know, they gave away a lottery pick in 2009, you know, for Mike Miller and Randy Foy in a right. deal that, just looking back, this really looks bad, especially when you realize that number five pick turned out to be Ricky Rubio, who's just blowing up the league right now. Right. And, unfortunately, with, with Rubio playing really well and John struggling, now there are people who are wondering if the Wizards should have Rubio instead of John Wall, which I think is kind of, I don't
2: know. I'd rather have Wall, but that's just me. <laughs> well, that's it's interesting. I, you know, we I was talking before you came on, Mike, that, uh, you know, I don't know what you did to deserve all of that. <laughs> I mean, like, no, I can, I'm trying to think. What other writers in the league have had to deal with more coach search slash off court drama than you have in the last five years? And I don't know, man. You, you might have the title, man.
4: Yeah, I think I am an undisputed champ right now. I don't think anybody can, can, can roll with this. Cause I, cause everybody that tries to come with me, like New Jersey Nets writers, they say, you know, we lost 18 in a row, and they always come with all their little stats and everything. I'm like, you, you had guns in the locker room? And then uh, they, they like, that, that's my trump card. I don't always pull it out. right? And then I have to. I just lay it on the table, and that's, that's game.
2: No doubt, you no know, doubt.
4: Everybody gotta push <laughs> their chips over.
2: <laughs> no doubt, man. Well, look, safe travels on that road, Michael Lee, and uh, we will be talking to you, my man. Good luck with everything that's going up there, and you know, we'll be in touch. Oh,
4: definitely, man. I, I, always good wrapping what you catch.
2: All right, All man. Right. Michael Thanks, Lee Mike. of the Washington Post, man, always informative. You know, even killed Lang, and I do, man. I don't. I feel bad for the guy because, you know, I he left. The AJC and I came, you know, from Indianapolis and took his old gig covering the Hawks. And they had been, you know, brutally bad. And they were and they were rugged my first couple years on the beat. But then they go to playoffs all these years in a row, man. It's like, I don't know, it's just timing. Timing is everything in the NBA.
3: I think Mike's got a good
2: personality to deal with it, though. Yeah, yeah. And I hate it for him. I know, man. It's terrible. It's like the nicest dude you know. And yeah. uh, and he, you know year after year he's like dealing with you know bad teams drama you know nonsense um, but he he's a professional man you know he's gonna plug so he's gonna keep plugging away but very very interesting hang time podcast man we I my my ca- I need some of that Steve Hess caffeine to finish off with like I <laughs> I came down after we talked to Steve Hess and it was like oh man like he he had me so cranked up and so amped up now I feel like I need a you know like I need a. Need to, need a baby bath or something like you know put some put some Johnson and Johnsons in the tub so I could, so I can come down from it man. I I I I will say once again too the time after time man we get on here and talk about stuff. I can't thank our guests enough and uh, and our super producer Micah Hard enough for for hustling up and uh, making sure we keep some interesting people here on the Hang Time Podcast. So. Um, Next week fellas We'll do it again And we might even have A theme song for uh, Whatever we're calling it Did you see that Or you know Did you hear that I mean Depends
1: on how you Look (laughs) at it
2: I love it man Lang I think that was
3: I think that was a sitcom That used to be on
2: In
1: the 80s (laughs) It it sounds like a British sitcom Yes
2: Yes Well Anyway Classic stuff Hey Lang Are you uh, Are you in the city this whole next week, like you going, you getting out to any uh, next games?
3: I'm in New York. You know what? I I <laughs> I'd spent one night at home from December 20th mm-hmm. until Monday. Um, so I'd been on the road a lot. I'd been to Atlanta, to Florida, to Atlanta, to Los right. Angeles. I haven't even been in New York to go to a Knicks game. Yeah, um, they play the so I'm think I'm going to try to swing by, and then they're on the road. Them and the Nets are both out of town. Right. So I don't even know how much I'll be able to see them. And the Knicks are in this dispute right now with uh, – uh, MSG Network is in a dispute with Time Warner Cable. So right. they're not even on TV in the city. Oh, my goodness. The, the the only side benefit of that is now NBA TV is on channel 27 on the cable, <laughs> yes. on my yes. cable. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so yes. League,
2: so League pass, fi- baby.
3: I can find you and me a lot more uh, quickly on
2: no doubt. Tuesday afternoons. No doubt. Yeah, I got a. Uh, I haven't been to a a, a game all year. Um, yeah. Believe it or not, since the season started, I I just uh, I got my first night in my own bed last night. Thirty straight <laughs> days uh, yeah. away from the house, so I'm looking forward to diving in. You know, really digging in and, and getting out to these arenas and. Well, I did go to. to people, so. I mean,
3: I went to a couple of Clipper games in L. A. and went to right. practice with them. And so we maybe next week we can talk about the Clips some.
2: No doubt. But no doubt. Uh,
3: I got to see them a lot, and they were a fun team to uh, to catch up with.
2: Well, Saturday night I'm going down to uh, Phillips Arena to see uh, Rubio Vision in person. I'm going down to watch <laughs> going to, down to watch uh, your your new favorite team. Uh, I'm going to watch him <laughs> in person and, and get a chance hopefully to to catch up with some of the Timberwolves in that locker room and see what's going on. So it should be interesting, man. Um, tell Ricky yeah, I send my best. Oh, um, yeah. I will tell Ricky that you send hugs <laughs> and kisses from New York. Uh, for, for Lang Whitaker and Micah Hart and Jarrell, uh, Seku Smith here from uh, the Hangtime Podcast. And check us out on NBA.com, folks, and we'll see you next time.
4: Thanks for listening to the Hangtime Podcast download more episodes of the show visit the itunes music store be sure to check out the hangtime blog on nba.com and for more of lang visit slamonline.com. you can follow seiku and lang on twitter at seikusmithmba and lang with it the smyrna spartans have yet to get on twitter but we'll let you know when they do